Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Intersecting Media presents. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. The next thing in late night talk. Here we go. While you're working, eating, and playing, he's watching. It'll be like old ten. Keeping you informed. Thank you. Jason Page. Demented and sad. But social. Covering all the day's news from a studio somewhere in Southeast Asia. Worldwide! And talking about it with you. Blah, blah, blah. You're up late with Jason Page. Hoo-ha! Or up early. Good morning. But just stay up. It is time. Here's Jason. Good to be with you on a Wednesday night slash Thursday edition of Up Late. Up early, depending on where you are streaming the program from. Much to do over the next hour. Busy news day. Four big topics that I want to delve into. We'll try to share equal time amongst all of them. Coming up, we'll talk about the Fernando Tatis deal. Everybody always says, you don't talk about sports anymore. I miss you talking about sports. Well, we will do some sports on the back end of this show because Fernando Tatis uh, reportedly getting a monster deal in San Diego from the Padres. And I don't want to hear baseball teams crying poor anymore. No more. You cannot cry poor. You cannot lay off furlough in place. You can't do it and then give the contract that you give to somebody like a Fernando Tatis Jr. Or a Trevor Bauer with the with the Dodgers. You can't do it. No more crying poor. I don't care if nobody goes to the games. You cannot cry poor and give out these, ki- these kinds of contracts. And baseball has nobody to blame but themselves, ultimately. They have nobody to blame but themselves. Remember when we had the whole work stoppage in the 90s? And all the talk was, you know, trying to get players to accept a, a salary cap. Players said no, never happened. The closest thing they got to it was a luxury tax, which is a joke. It's supposed to be punitive, but at the end of the day, these teams could all afford to pay the luxury tax if they're paying these insane contracts that they're paying out. Anyway, we'll talk about the Tatis deal later. I don't want to go too far afield here. Um, we'll do that at 11.45 p.m. Eastern, so about 42 minutes from now. Uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour, 11.30 p.m. Eastern, a lot of you in Texas that, that could be watching the show, my hearts go out to you because you are just being bombarded by this cold and snow. Oh, by the way, climate change is real. <laughs> um, but you're also the victim of bad leadership. And Greg Abbott is having his Hurricane Katrina moment. We'll discuss that coming up uh, at the bottom of the hour. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, I want to talk about the one moment. And look, the Joe Biden town hall from the other night was, I mean, it was what you would expect from a CNN town hall with with Joe Biden. All the usual hits getting played. Yeah, there was some news on a couple of different fronts, but one particular comment he made rubbed me the wrong way. And it might not be the one you're thinking of. I'll get to that coming up uh, in about 10 minutes or so. 
But I want to begin with the passing of whether you like Rush Limbaugh or not, you have to acknowledge that he is a radio icon. He is a radio legend. Those of us that have worked in talk radio, sports radio, no matter what genre of radio you're talking about, you have Rush Limbaugh to thank because he did do a lot to save AM talk radio at a time when AM radio, it's still, it's still, it's still a marvel to me that AM radio exists. Have you ever listened to AM radio? <laughs> do yourself a favor. Don't. Uh, first of all, it's largely conservative and doesn't have a lot of balance in terms of opposing viewpoints. But then on top of that, the sound quality is garbage. I mean, it's AM, it's mono. It's terrible. But with that having been said, Rush Limbaugh saved talk radio in the late 80s. He launched a conservative, um, nationally syndicated show at a time of the day where nationally syndicated shows were not really successful. Middays, 12 to 3. I mean, who's going to listen then? You're all working. Well, tens of millions of people would go on to listen to his show daily. And again, whether you agree or disagree with him, that fact needs to be put out there. It needs to be stated. But, With that having been said, and with his passing, and not unexpectedly, he was dying of cancer. Everybody knew it. And he fought it. And he really worked right up until his dying day. I think his last show was February 2nd. And he passes away, what, 16 days later, 15 days later? So he worked right up until the end, much like Alex Trebek. Now, the two are totally different, but they did work right up until their last days. I am very conflicted about how to discuss this story because I don't I wouldn't even call Rush Limbaugh a complicated man. In fact, I think he's quite a simpleton in many regards. Um everybody likes to make him out to be some sort of genius. Everybody likes to make him out to be some sort of visionary and he's so smart. I don't see any of that. Well, he read a lot of books and he had a library. Doesn't make you smart. Um, it might make you well-read. still doesn't change if you're ignorant, bigoted, nasty, mean, rude, whatever you want to, whatever you want to throw in there. So while we have to acknowledge his impact on the radio industry, and I have to acknowledge it as somebody who spent 20 plus years in the radio industry, you also have to try to counter the narrative being put out there in the conservative press and in the conservative media on Wednesday night. Exhibit A, the usual suspects at Fox News. Rush or being Rush or anything like that. And Rush wouldn't want us to. Rush can only fill three hours a day. But Rush would want and would be so proud and was so proud of all the people who were also working into talk radio. He he never said a nasty thing about a single... Hmm? Talk radio host. What? 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 Mark Levin say? I never heard him say nasty thing about too many people. I'm gobsmacked. In case you missed that, here it is again. I was so proud of all the people who were also 
working in the talk radio. He, he never said a nasty thing about a single talk radio host. Matter of fact, I never heard him say nasty thing about too many people. This is what we call gaslighting. This is what we call revisionist history. This is what we call... Not going to say it. Not going to say it. Going to... Woosah. Anybody who knows anything about Rush Limbaugh and chooses to acknowledge the obvious knows this was not a particularly kind man when it came to the opposing side of the aisle. Or anybody, for that matter, he disagreed with. I offer you this what does exhibit. It say about the college co-ed Susan Fluke? who goes before a congressional committee and essentially says that she must be paid to have sex. What does that make her? It makes her a slut, right? Well, makes that's her a prostitute. Kind. She wants mm. to be paid to have sex. Hey. She's having so much sex she can't afford the contraception. She wants you and me and the taxpayers to pay her to have sex. What does that make us? We're the pimps. And again on Thursday. If we're going to have to pay for this, now, we want something in return, Ms. Fluke, and that would be the videos of all this sex posted online so we can see what we are getting for our money. Here's the problem. A lot of people would say, well, the body's not even cold, Jason. How can you, how can you play back something so terrible that he said because the, body, the body's not cold? Well, something has to counter the, quote, fake news, this false narrative that Rush Limbaugh was some amazing guy. Now, look, people are going to say, well, he donated tons of money to charity, and he did that. He also made zillions of dollars. I hope he did donate some money to charity. I make a lot less, and I've donated money to charity. Money I don't even have. So don't give me the, well, he donated money to charity. So did Lance Armstrong. How do you remember him? It's complicated, is my point. It's complicated. And to try and make it out to be something that, well, he was just a, a radio visionary and he was great and he was so kind and loving. This is kind and loving? This is Michael J. Fox. He's got Parkinson's disease. And it's, in this commercial, he is exaggerating the effects of the disease. He is moving all around and shaking and it's purely an act. This is the only time... I have ever seen Michael J. Fox portray any of the symptoms of the disease he has. We're witnessing racism all this week uh, that led up to the uh, inauguration. We are being told that we have to hope he succeeds, that we have to bend over, grab the ankles, bend over forward, backward, whichever, because his father was black, because this is the first black president. We've, we've, just, we've got to accept this. Could we see the cute kid? Let's take a look and see who is the cute kid in the... White House. No, 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 that's not the kid. That's, that's the kid. We try to. I mean, could you imagine? And by the way, when it came to all of these different indiscretions on the air by Rush, and it's kind of funny because I went and did the research on it because that's what a true talk show host does. Much like Republicans during the Trump era, whenever Republicans would be asked, 
to condemn comments by Rush Limbaugh. You know where they were? Crickets. Silence. They were afraid to take him on. So everybody thinking that, well, this Republican Party, I don't recognize it because it, it, it doesn't take on Trump and it won't speak out against the horrible things being done in his name and being done in America's name on his behalf. I, I don't recognize this party. You should. Because it's the same party that stood by Limbaugh all these years and allowed him to run rampant and say and do whatever he wanted to do. Because he was too big to take off the air. And just as much, and just as much, I Heart Media, Premier Radio Networks, owned by iHeart. They let it happen. They let it go. As long as the sponsors were there, even when some pulled away, Premier Networks knew it had a cash cow. They weren't going to let Rush go. In an age of cancel culture, in an age where even back then people were trying to get him taken off the air, it didn't matter what Rush said, what Rush did. Mm-mm. They weren't taking him off the air for anything. Okay, how's this going to look? 37-year-old gay guy kissing his husband on stage next to Mr. Man Donald Trump. What's going to happen there? And they got to be looking at that, and they've got to be saying that despite all the great progress and despite all the great wokeness and despite all the great ground that's been covered, America's still not ready to elect a gay guy kissing his husband on the debate stage president. You ever wonder why it is that Republicans are so obsessed with what gay people do in their in their bedrooms? You ever wonder about that? This one's personal for me, for obvious reasons. But that was just another example of Rush, but he's not nasty. Oh, no, he was never nasty. And by the way, that's what I uncovered in about 30 minutes of research. I, I could have sat there all night and found records of Rush on and on and on. The terrible things he said. The ESPN comments that got him kicked off there after just a couple of weeks. What, Sunday NFL countdown? I mean, the list is too long to count. So if we're going to talk about Rush, if we're going to have a conversation about the man, his legacy, I'm all about it. But let's be fair. Let's be honest. I didn't give you anything out of context. I didn't give you anything out of context. And by the way, before anybody says, well, because I heard Hannity say this one tonight, I watched more Fox News tonight than any human should have to endure in primetime, by the way. I watched basically all three hours of their primetime shows. Before anybody says, well, when you're on for three or four hours and you're on that, that live wire, that high wire act, Sometimes you're going to say things that 20 plus years in radio, 20 plus years in radio I've spent, not once did I have to be reprimanded or taken off the air for something I said. Not once. And I did five hours overnight. 
Not once. This guy did it repeatedly and was never admonished by the people that should have admonished him. I'm not going to say rest in peace. I'm not going to say, you know, I, I, I talked to one friend today, and I won't say who it was, but I talked to one friend today. He was like, oh, he's got a place waiting for him in hell. I'm not going to say that. You know the man. I gave you just a sliver of his history. Like I said, I could spend an hour doing it, but I'm not going to. And I also stated what his name and what his aspirations for talk radio meant to the industry as a whole. You take it for yourself. Decide what you want to do with it. Quick break. All right, we welcome you back. Up late with Jason Page. Quick break, as I promised. Uh, On this Wednesday slash Thursday edition of the show, we talked about Rush Limbaugh coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Uh, Greg Abbott, governor of Texas, is living his Hurricane Katrina moment. Major cataclysmic storm, once-in-a-generation sort of storm, once-in-a-lifetime sort of storm. Uh, has crippled Texas. And uh, no pun intended there, by the way. It has obliterated that state. And his reaction hasn't helped. His response hasn't helped. We'll talk about that coming up in 10 minutes. (sighs) So, Joe Biden had his first um, trip outside of the White House. He went to Wisconsin on Monday night. Tuesday night, I think it was. Sorry, Tuesday night, right? I think so. Anyway, he went to Wisconsin for a town hall forum um, hosted by CNN. And look, it it was loaded with all the questions you would expect, uh, softballs and otherwise. And they did, you know, press him on some issues. And there were some controversial comments he might have made regarding when kids could go back to school or a $15 minimum wage or eliminating up to $50,000 worth of student loan debt. All of those things are, are certainly interesting conversations when it comes to policy, right? But it was another comment he made that most got my interest, most piqued my curiosity. And that was what he said about the country. What he said about America being divided. And I couldn't find the video um, because it's literally just me prepping this show every day for you guys. But he said something that I thought was very interesting, and it was this. Here's the quote. Uh, This was in response to a question about his immediate and tangible plans to address division in the country. Quote, the nation is not divided. You go out there and take a look and talk to people. You have fringes on both ends. But it's not nearly as divided as we make it out to be, and we have to bring it together. Part of addressing a problem and part of fixing a problem is admitting you have a problem. If you're an alcoholic, you can't get help being an alcoholic until what? You admit you're an alcoholic. If you're addicted to buying shoes, 
You can't fix that addiction until you like to admit you like to spend a little too much money on the Jimmy Chews. If you have a problem eating too much, consuming too much food, you can't address the weight problem until you address the fact that you like to have one too many pizzas every week. You can't fix something if you don't acknowledge it exists. And to simply state at this point, after everything we've seen over the last four years and 75 million people coming out and voting for Donald Trump, if that doesn't tell you how divided this nation is, that it isn't the fringes anymore, it seeped more and more towards the middle. And the middle has become slimmer and slimmer because everybody feels like they have to pick a side. And this even goes back to the Rush Limbaugh conversation we were just having. Part of his legacy is creating division. It's in scaring you, inciting you to pick a side. And Americans were forced year after year Since the late 80s when Rush came on the air, he was trying to get you to pick a side. Left or right. Left or right. And that has been exacerbated by talk show host after talk show host after talk show host over the years. And TV networks and primetime programming in those networks and... The View, and and all these different shows where you have to pick a side, even in sports. Pardon the interruption. First Take. Whatever that show on Fox Sports is. Everything is take a side. Talk radio, sports radio, it doesn't matter. Take a side. And I used to constantly fight this battle, even in sports radio, let alone in news talk, where people would say, all right, Jay, which side are you going to take on this issue? Well, I don't necessarily take sides. As you'll see with our final story today when we talk about Fernando Tatis, it's not always about taking a side. Very complicated. It's very complicated when you talk about the state of our of our politics these days. But one thing that is not one thing that is not complicated at all is the fact that we are as divided as we have ever been in America. We are truly a divided nation. As divided as we have ever been. And I don't anticipate that changing in any way, shape, or form. Especially if you don't address the problem. And I, don't, and I have to be honest, uh, one of the things I always think talk show hosts are guilty of is pointing out a problem and not giving a solution. I don't even know what the solution is to the division in America at this point because it's so deeply rooted 
And it goes back so far in problems that we don't want to address or acknowledge. I don't even know how you get to a point of healing and reconciliation between the left and the right and those kind of somewhere in the middle. I don't know how you get to a point of reconciliation. Of course, if you don't address the problem, you can never get to a point of healing. But Biden really thinks that the other side is in good faith going to work with him. He's nuts. They're not going to. They don't want to. Because they see power at the root of all of this, and they want that power. Both sides do, quite frankly. But one is willing to do things that are far more nefarious to gain that power than the other. You know how I feel about it and which side that is. But for Biden to stand up there on a town hall forum stage and simply say, eh, nothing to see here. There's no division. We're fine. It's just a few people on the right, a few people on the left. Both sidesism. Eh. It's not going to fix the problem. It's not going to make it any better. There's just no way to there's no way to heal. There's no way to make a problem better if you don't address it. They want Biden's head on a pike. Republicans sole goal again, like they did with Obama, like they tried to do, is to make him a one-term president. And what is the way to do that? Not help him. Not work with him. Stonewall. Block everything you can. Now, Democrats do have the advantage in that for the first two years, roughly in the next 18 months, they've got carte blanche to pass whatever it is they want to pass. They have the ability... To call the strikes and balls and call the shots. They can pretty much do what they want to do. Republicans will be kicking and screaming. But those 50 votes in the Senate, plus Kamala Harris at 51, pretty much all they need. Now that may change after 2022 in the midterms. But the reality... I've got is that Biden and needs to take these 18 months and, and jam through as much legislation right as he can. Um, you're going not have to use the executive powers winter storm of the Oval Office. Crippled. Not put pen to paper on executive country. orders to try and get things through. And there's things still that more snow on the way. The man that follows him Texas. or woman that follows him in the White House can simply this tear Arctic up. Blast. I mean, it's colder paper. in Texas than in parts of Alaska right now. And put in their own executive orders. That. No. Again, he needs to put in lasting legislation. Not trying legislation to brag, not trying to toot my own horn, not trying to by whoever follows stomp him. on anybody while they're down in Texas. It's a larger not conversation. by ya. I want to work with the other side. Real. Because there's no division. I still think this is no, something no. that Americans eh. aren't divided. I say this not all the time. made Legislators don't have any take effect. their cues. Climate change <laughs> from the electorate. We don't need to be in a climate accord, Paris, blah, blah, blah. Republicans and Democrats not would not be doing what they are take doing. Take a look at Texas the right now. gridlock in Washington. This the is divisive real. rhetoric. 
this is real. If the electorate people in their homes without electricity, they are without heat in the middle of a winter storm. We cannot because the power grid there couldn't handle it because it wasn't prepared to handle it. The office of the president of the United States wish away the fact. Ten years ago, federal as much regulators as ever in my lifetime and I'm 40 told Texas old. you're not, you're not ready to acknowledge it you're not prepared if you have this sort of event exactly what's happening right now they were told 10 years ago I talk about it all the time we are a reactive culture in the US not proactive And this wasn't even a case of having to be proactive. All you had to do was react to the fact that federal regulators told you. Oh, but regulation's bad. And we in Texas, we fight regulation. How's that working out for you right now? Sitting in your house, freezing your ass off. You know who's not freezing his ass off? Greg Abbott, the governor. He's not freezing his ass off. No, I'm sure he's not without electricity. I'm sure his buns are warm and toasty while you're freezing. While your roads are unplowed because the roads, they don't even have snow plows. New York Times reporting. Pipes froze and burst across the state. And warming centers that had opened lost power. Icicles hung from kitchen faucets in Houston. Icicles on faucets. United States of America, the greatest nation in the world. How's that looking right now? Oh, Texas. We want to see, we want to secede from... From the government, because we want to do our own thing. We don't want to follow you federal knuckleheads. Imagine if FEMA wasn't there to help right now. Imagine. You'd be talking about catastrophic losses of life in Texas. County government in coastal Galveston called for refrigerated trucks to hold the bodies they expect to find in freezing, powerless houses. This is Greg Abbott's Hurricane Katrina moment. And much like George W. Bush before him, in terms of leadership on a major climate catastrophe, he has failed. He has failed miserably. You ever notice a trend? Katrina, this winter storm, COVID. Now, I know you can point to Andrew Cuomo in New York and talk about his handling of coronavirus and nursing home deaths, and we sat here on this show and criticized him. Or Gavin Newsom in California with forest fires. But look at what's happening in Texas right now. And legislators, the electorate in Texas, they need to hold Greg Abbott accountable. 
They need to put his feet to the fire, so to speak. And he needs to answer for what didn't happen. Don't talk to me about frozen freaking windmills. You think piles of coal aren't frozen? You think oil pipelines ain't frozen? You think the nuclear grid? Think all of that? You think all of this is just, oh yeah, but the windmills are frozen, so we need to talk about that whole Green New Deal thing. <sighs> Bollocks. To smokescreen. To lure you away from the reality. And that reality is Greg Abbott has failed the people of Texas in a profound way. Nobody should lose their life sitting at home because you tell everybody to stay home in a winter storm. Nobody should die in their homes during a winter storm. Not in the greatest country that's ever lived on earth. Think about it. Just just take a second and think about somebody's grandmother or grandfather sitting in a, a house that's freezing because they have no heat, no electricity. It's dark. Maybe a candle's lit somewhere. They're wearing multiple layers of clothing just hoping they can make it through the night. Maybe they're on oxygen. They can't run the tanks because they don't have any electricity. Think about those people tonight. Think about what they're enduring. And they shouldn't have to. Shouldn't be the case. This is mismanagement at its highest level. And somebody has to be held to account for that. And the buck stops, or doesn't stop, until it gets to the governor who has screwed this up, who was not prepared. That's all you ask. Keep us safe. Above everything, your job, leading a state, leading the country, keep people safe. You should at least have that in the social contract between a government and its people. Keep us safe. Keep us alive. And all it took was a winter storm to keep that from happening in Texas. Just breaks your heart. Wednesday, as this New York Times article pointed out, state-faced more sleet and freezing rain in what the National Weather Service in Austin, San Antonio said could be the worst of all the winter events over the past week. Snow in Dallas, quarter inch of ice in parts of the state. And it took until Wednesday afternoon for Greg Abbott 
to sign an executive order. Wednesday afternoon. This has been going on for days. An executive order ordering natural gas providers to halt all shipments of gas outside the state. Instead, ordering them to instead direct those sales to Texas power generators. We're on day three or four of this. What are you doing? What have you been doing? Every source of power Texas has has been compromised, Abbott said, from coal and renewable energy to nuclear power. See if voters hold them accountable. Look, I I say this all the time. You get the government you ask for. If this is acceptable to you in Texas, if this is okay with you, if this is okay with you, you know what? Vote them in. Just keep them there. As long as it ain't your grandmother or grandfather dead with an icicle coming from their running nose that they had while they passed away. Keep voting for those Republicans in Texas. Because they're obviously looking out for you. All right, let's finish with some sports and um, one personal item that I want to get to as we conclude up late. Stay with us. All right, we welcome you back up late with Jason Page with you on this Wednesday night slash Thursday, depending on where you are watching and wherever you are watching. Uh, I am very grateful for you doing so. Um, Real quick, before I get to the Tatis story, the story of uh, Fernando Tatis and this $340 million, uh, uh, 14-year, $340 million contract, uh, Naomi Osaka defeats uh, Serena Williams, I believe the Australian Open semis, and denying Serena the opportunity uh, for that 24th major that she is trying to capture. And part, I look, no matter how you feel about Serena Williams, like her, love her, um, her dominance in the sport cannot be understated uh, for so many years. But you have to wonder if she's going to get that 24th Grand Slam tournament that she um, obviously so covets, even if she won't necessarily admit to it. But Serena Williams defeated by Naomi Osaka. Um, down at the Australian Open. Not too far from where we are, about five and a half, six hours from uh, where we are here in Singapore. I hope to get there next year. I'm hoping next year is the year I finally get to the Australian Open in Melbourne. All right. Um, The deal for the very talented Fernando Tatis Jr. Good deal or a bad deal? Uh, I've got a poll question up on cited, uh, cited debates. You can go and check it out for yourself. Cited.co. Look for me, Jason Page. And I actually have a poll question up there. Who's the deal better for? The Padres or Fernando Tatis? And on initial glimpse, some might say, well, it's great for both sides. They get to lock up a you know, a franchise caliber player for the next 14 years, and he gets all this money. But I don't think a 14-year deal is ever good for a team. I don't even care if it's Mike Trout. I don't think a 14-year deal 
is a good thing for a team. Hear me out. I'm not trying to rain on your parade Padres fans. I've already had people. I've got the Debbie Downer meme that was thrown my way. I've had people say, no, no, no. It's a great deal for the team. Now, look, if for the next 14 years, the Padres win one or two World Series, which is a tall order considering the franchise has won none. Again, just stating facts. Um, and, and Tatis wins, you know, some MVPs and gets some hardware and turns out to be this franchise player that everybody believes he can and will be, then wonderful. But more times than not, um, these things don't really work out that way. I mean, Fernando Tatis, I want you to think about this, has not even played a full season of Major League Baseball. He's played 143 games. 143 games. And his numbers are undeniably special. They're great. 39 home runs, 98 RBIs. Does strike out a lot. Keep that in mind, but I know in baseball today, it's okay if you strike out a lot. 171 strikeouts. 110 of those last year in just 84 games. So he's going to average roughly 200 strikeouts. He is an incredible talent. There is no question about it. But here's the problem. All the risk, and I mean all the risk, is being assumed by the Padres organization. And it's a huge risk from a salary standpoint. Now, I understand a lot of people will say, well, how do you deal that kind of contract? No, you can deal that kind of contract. The Rangers were able to do it with Alex Rodriguez. Remember, there's always going to be somebody with a ton of money, you know, an organization with a, a big TV deal, whatever it is, the Yankees, the Dodgers. There's always going to be somebody that's willing to take on a big contract if you have to deal it away. If the Padres at some point decide to rebuild and Tatis says he wants out and blah, 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 blah. But all the risk, again, that just points to the fact that all the risk is taken on by the Padres organization. Because 143 games does not a career make. I can point to a lot of guys, a lot of guys, that have played 143 games and put up gaudy numbers, only to later fall apart, be exposed, mentally break down, physically break down, check out, whatever. And now, no matter whether any of those things happen or not, get injured, tear up your knee, no matter any of those things, the Padres are on the hook for $340 million. There's no way you can deny that the risk being taken on by the organization here is far greater. Oh, but Tatis could have gotten $30 million a year, or Trevor Bauer just got $40 million a year. First of all, Bauer got $40 million for one year. You think he was going to get that over five years, 10 years? No. Dodgers overpaid for one year. They want to repeat. They want something dynastic. For one year, he could help them do that. And then they don't care. If he stays, he goes, whatever. They work out something that's more team-friendly. It ain't going to be $40 million, though. I promise you. If Tatis wanted $40 million for one year, he probably could get it. But he ain't getting that over a long-term contract. This is a great deal for him. Because whether it's $24 million per year for 14 years, 
or whatever you want to say. It's life-changing money. It's security in a day and age where security is hard to come by. Whether it was, what's the difference for somebody who has $340 million plus endorsements, mind you, as the face of that franchise, oh, there will be endorsements. What's the difference between $340 million or $400 million or even $450 million? You can't spend $340 million in a lifetime if you are even somewhat sane in how you handle your bucks. Save your chicken. Right, Marshawn Lynch? Save that chicken. But $340 million? I hope it works out. I hope the Padres finally get a World Series. I hope Tatis wins multiple MVPs. I really do. But what are the odds of him making it all 14 years there? What are the odds of his numbers justifying $24 million a year? Tell me he couldn't get by with seven years? Tell me he wouldn't have taken eight? You had to do it for 14 years? I hope it works out. I really do. But this is a huge risk being taken by the Padres organization for a guy who's played 143 games. How, think about this for a second. This is marriage, right? This is a baseball, this is the equivalent of a baseball contract. This is a marriage. Would you marry somebody after such a short sample of time? And I'm not talking about these stupid reality shows where people get married after like 30 dates. 30-day weddings. Would you marry somebody? It took me five years before I got married. Would you marry somebody after such a short sample size? Haven't learned all their quirks, all the eccentricities. Are they faithful? Are they good to you? Going to take care of each other? After 143 games, the Padres were ready to say, not just get married, but we're getting like long-term arranged marriage for life. Did you marry anybody after that shorter period of time? I wouldn't. I don't care how special they look. Might look real good at the start. May not look so good at the end. All right. Um, before we leave you, uh, a small personal note. Um, I, I have not shared this story with our audience um, because my family and I had kept it private. Um but I want uh, everybody to keep my, my father. Uh, I want everybody to keep my father uh, in their thoughts because I often quote my father on this show. I often talk about the fact that we've had a, a strained relationship as a father and son. Always talk about the fact, though, one thing has always been said is that I love my father. And uh, we learned a few weeks ago that my father had been diagnosed with cancer and um, he has undergone some treatment already a couple of biopsies uh, some you know outpatient stuff and we're still in the process of learning exactly what this is and how serious it is but um, it's scary it's a scary thing to deal with especially from 9,000 miles away when I can't be there for him um so I would just ask all of you, uh, and a lot of people who know me know I'm not particularly religious. Um, however it is you 
show you care. Please keep my father in your thoughts because we need all the good thoughts we can get right now. Um, he's 77 years old. He's not young. He has not necessarily been kind to his body. And um, we need to have all the positive thoughts we can for him right now while uh, he, most importantly, and our family go through this very difficult um, situation. And we're all trying to face it bravely, and he has done so <laughs> with a laugh, as he always does. Uh, and so far, things are going okay. But as a lot of people know, these things can always turn um, for the better or the worse. And we're hoping in this case it is for the better and that he comes through this. But uh, for anybody out there um, who's either gone through this, you know what it is and you know what it's like. But I would just ask that you uh, keep my family and, and most importantly my father in your thoughts uh, in the days ahead. And that's how we wrap up this Wednesday slash Thursday episode of Up Late. Thank you for being a part of it. I got through that without crying. I'm thankful. Uh, and I'm thankful for you guys tuning in. Thanks for being here. Uh, exciting news. This show will now be available in a daily podcast to listen to. So if you can't stay up late with us, or get up early with us, depending on where you are in the world, beginning with this show tonight, you will be able to listen to Up Late with Jason Page in a daily podcast, nightly podcast, uh, through whatever podcast provider you have, Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn. We'll be on all of them. First episode will go up uh, following the show soon as I upload it. Thank you for tuning in. I am Jason Page. We'll catch you next time. Up late. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.